0: All right, so I've got a balloon here. I've used a version of this before, but it just is a good way to illustrate what I'm talking about. So I'm going to use it again. All right, so have a balloon, you're having a party, you want to do what with the balloon? They're going to blow it up. Yeah, easy answer. I'm just making sure you are awake. It's time change Sunday, maybe a little interaction today to keep you guys engaged. All right, I'm going to try to do this without passing out. trying to amuse you guys this morning. All right, so if I keep blowing the balloon, what will eventually happen? I'll pass out. Yes. What else might happen if I don't pass out first? It'll pop, right? All right, I'll spare you that, but if I keep going, eventually the balloon will pop. So what do I have to do to keep the balloon from popping? If I want to relieve some of this pressure, what do I got to do? Just let the air out, right? I'll pick that up later. So let's think about it this way, all right? Let's say the air represents stresses in life. Maybe your job is stressful. I am going to pass out before this is over. (laughs) So there's a certain amount of stress from your job right? Maybe family life is stressful right now. No laughing, you guys on the front row. I live to amuse my kids and their friends. Let's say, I don't know, any number of things. Uh, Maybe it's finances are stressful, right? Keep going. It is going to pop here pretty soon. Keep going and going and going. Could be tragedy strikes, right? Yeah. Any, any number of things, the pressures of life fill us, they, they cause tension, they cause pressure. And if there was only just an easy way just to let it all go, right? Just as simple as letting go of a balloon. But it's not that easy, is it? I mean, there's, there's, there's no you know, quick push this button and it all goes away. Just like the air erasing from that balloon. But what we're told in God's Word is that there are pressures, there are stresses, but while they may not be erased just with a quick prayer or following a formula, God will use those, and He will use those to grow us and to shape us, and He will give us peace, and He will give us comfort, and He will give us assurance. And that's a big part of what we're going to be talking about today is these stresses of life that we have. There was an ad, how to deal with those primarily when trouble comes, but there was an ad in a brochure about an, exo- uh, an exotic resort in Telluride, Colorado, and the, the resort described in vivid detail this, this health resort complete with personal trainers, body wraps, all of these things, a staff to pamper you, to give you everything that you wanted. And the whole focus of this pamphlet for this resort was to provide a stress-free environment, a stress-free getaway. But the reality is, in our world, there is no such thing as a totally stress-free existence or environment. Not this side of eternity, there's not. There will always be stress. There will always be pressures. It's unrealistic to even suggest that you could have a stress-free existence. All you have to do is start your day and eventually something is going to stress you out, even if it's something small. There are pressures in life. And today we are going to begin this series that we are hopefully all going to dig deep in as we go through the book of James. We're going to talk about how to live out our faith. That's really what James is. It's the gospel with boots on. It is taking it to the streets. That's the title of our series, taking it to the streets. And that's James, the the primary thrust is, is living out our faith. It is very practical. We see James is the half-brother of Jesus who writes this book. He was also a pastor in Jerusalem. Uh, We see that in Acts chapter 15. And it is literally, he's talking about faith in action, how faith is seen in our lives. It is a user-friendly book. We see 108 verses. In those 108 verses, we see 54 commands given to us. So he's very clear in what we should do as a result of the teachings that we find here. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God delivered through Jesus' half-brother. And in this series, we're going to see the primary focus is this the basis of our series faith that is real works practically in a person's life true faith is faith that works faith you know works don't save us but faith is seen in our works works show the world that we are saved and we're going to see that unfold as we go through this book you've heard the saying when life give you le- gives you lemons what we roll our eyes right because we've heard that a million times, but if you really think about it, there's, that, that's pretty biblical. I mean, there's, that, there's some sound advice in that. In that saying that we've heard so many times, the basic philosophy there is sound. Throughout the Bible, you will find people who turned defeat into victory time and time again. And by the power of God and the Holy Spirit... Uh, taking an impossible situation and turning it into victory. Of course, Jesus himself did that. His death, you know, there's Friday, but then there's Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection. What would be seen as defeat became victory for all of us, victory over death. And this morning, we're going to see how we can have the same experience. Through this book, we're going to see how we can have the same experience of turning turning defeat into victory, living out our faith, no matter what life brings. And listen, there are some tough, th- tough things in life, but no matter what b- life brings through faith in Christ, we can experience victory. And the result of this victory is spiritual maturity. That's the goal, It's to mature in our faith. God wants to mature us. So we're going to look at the essentials this morning for victory in trials. So how are you guys doing with your memory verses? Anybody? I'm not going to call on anybody today, but I'm going to be the, the guinea pig today, All I'll torture myself today. I'm going to try to do this by memory. It may be on the screen, but I'm going to try not to look, okay? In the weeks ahead, I'll call on somebody to do it, all right? So James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greeting. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you've experienced various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and you'll receive it. But let him ask, in faith... Without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from God, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, in his humiliation. I need a help. What's that? Uh, for he, he will pass away like the flowers of the field. Thank you. almost made it. <laughs> he will pass away like the flowers of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass, the flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance fades, perishes. In the same way, the rich will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because he knows when he has withstood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promises to all who love him. Almost. All right? Hopefully, you weren't just testing me and following along with that, because we're going to dig into that this morning, okay? Okay? But the purpose of this isn't just to say, hey, I memorized a bunch of verses. We're internalizing this. I really want us to dig into this. And especially this first passage is such a great, um, insightful, deep dive opportunity to take a look at how we deal with the pressures of life and whether or not we can remain faithful in the midst of those pressures. Um, James chapter 1, he tells us exactly what to do when trouble hits us. And there are going to be times when trouble smacks us right in the face, right? And he tells us how to respond or what we can take joy and comfort in in the midst of that. And the first is this, essentials. First, experience. you got to have experience because experience has great benefit. When trouble hits you in the face, experience has great benefit. You know, a lot of times, and this sounds a little self-help, but it's true, a lot of times outlook determines outcome, doesn't it? How we view life, how we view circumstances is going to determine the outcome. Our attitude will determine our actions, certainly. If we have a good attitude, if we have a positive outlook, an outlook that goes beyond the temporary and the the uncomfortable circumstances we're in that's going to change how we deal with certain things how we approach difficulties and James tells us to get the right perspective don't miss this he says consider it not just consider it bearable but consider it great joy pure joy whatever your translation says he's saying when you face trials approach those trials with a spirit and attitude of joy. The trials that he's talking about is, and by the way, he says, consider it great joy when, not if, you experience trials. That's important, because we all will. And, and and what he's saying here is that when we approach a, a, a trial when, not if, we experience these trials, we can have joy. And the trials he's talking about are not... Curses or punishments. These are just the trials of life. Certainly, trials do come at times because of punishment, something we brought on ourselves. But he's talking about difficult circumstances that we all experience. They are different depending on the person, depending on the circumstances. But we all experience these things simply because we're believers. We are in a fallen creation and life can be difficult. But as painful as these things can be, some trials are small, some trials are, are great, are big, some are, are great personal tragedies, but all of them have one thing in common, and that's that they are opportunities for growth, spiritual growth. Maturity is the goal. Some trials come because we're human, because uh, we're just in a fallen world. Sickness, suffering that comes from that, accidents, disappointments, tragedies. We're humans in a fallen world. Those things happen, and those some trials simply become, come simply because of that. Other trials come specifically because we're Christians. We look at First Peter chapter four verse twelve. First Peter is all about Peter telling these believers that they are going, they're experiencing persecution, they're going to experience more persecution, and that they need to remain faithful. And they shouldn't be surprised by those trials. First Peter four twelve, dear friends, don't be surprised, don't be shocked, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Don't be shocked. We shouldn't be shocked because we live in a world where Satan fights us, the world opposes us, and that's a recipe for for daily battle. I mean, we live. In spiritual warfare, we face battle daily, so we shouldn't be surprised when we face trials. So James tells us to consider, and that word is important. It's a financial term. It's counting, evaluating. Paul uses the same term in Philippians chapter 3 when he talks about his old life, the things he used to think were important versus what he is now in Christ. He, he's evaluating his life now and comparing it to what he used to think was important. He's reevaluating, or he has reevaluated his life. He's taking a serious look at his life and and looking at what's important. And so we need to consider the trials that we face. We consider our present circumstances, and we, we consider, we count it pure joy. And we, we are able to do that because we are looking at our lives from the perspective of what God is doing both in us and through us, and we're not focused on the here and now. We're focused on eternity. doesn't mean that the trials aren't painful. They are. doesn't mean they're not difficult. It doesn't mean that I would rather not go through them. I'm just looking at it. I'm evaluating it from a different perspective. I'm looking at my life through the lens of eternity or from the perspective of eternity and what God may be trying to do through that. So when we face trials, we have to evaluate them in light of what God is doing in us and through us. And this is why Christians can have joy in the midst of trials, by the way, because we're not focused just on the here and now. We live for the things that matter most. Even Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy Hebrews twelve two that was set before him. He was looking toward being with the Father in heaven. He left heaven to come to earth, and 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 he 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 struggled with with what he was about to face: the wrath of God, the punish. I mean, the, the the torture, the suffering, all of that together. I believe was on his mind in the garden when he was praying. Yet he looked past that temporary discomfort, and and boy was it great, great suffering. But he looked toward eternity, and that's how we maintain joy. So when trials come, we should give thanks to God. Why? Because God's doing something in us and through us. And we should be thankful that whatever trial it is, it's not, it's not going to last for eternity. Our values though this is important, our values will determine our evaluations. So we're talking about considering it joy, evaluating our circumstances in light of what God is doing in us and through us. So what we value will determine the outcome of that evaluation. If we value temporary comfort, then trials are going to devastate us. Over spiritual comfort, over spiritual growth, you know that, that, those, those trials are going to devastate us if we value material and physical more than spiritual then trials are going to make it really difficult for us to be joyful because we'll be taking value in what we have and if we lose that then we will not have joy that joy will be temporary if we only live for the present and we forget the future then trials are going to make us bitter not better they're not, we're not going to grow through those trials. We won't have joy in the midst of those trials. So we need to give thanks. We need to look at trials through the eyes of faith. We have to have faith. Outlook determines outcome. If we want to have joy, we've got to, James is saying, you've got to start. Consider it joy. That's the first thing. Have joy when you face trials. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. It's not happiness that's here today, gone tomorrow. Joy is contentment. It's peace. It's assurance. It's a solid foundation when the world around you is crumbling. It's it's security knowing that you are secure in the hands of God, that eternity is set for you that you have a place in heaven that God's going to take care of you that he is going to provide for you even in the midst of suffering he will never leave you nor forsake you that those that's where that's the source of our joy and we have to have we have to begin with joy but how do we do that? It's easy for me to get up here and say this, and, and listen, it's biblical, and we all believe it. We know it. We know it's the right approach. We've heard this verse a thousand times, and, and we, we know James is right. We, we want to have joy, but how do we do it? How do we have joy when life just stinks at times, when it hurts, when it's painful, when we've lost? Are we fear-losing? Whatever, fill in the blank. How do we do it? How do we have joy? Well, we need to know the purpose of trials. We need to understand that God's got a greater purpose than what we're going through. And he's got a greater purpose that he can only accomplish. He doesn't cause tragedy. He doesn't cause bad things. But God sure uses it. He never wastes a hurt. He uses it if we will let him. And he can do things through that hurt that we won't learn, won't experience any other way. God's got a purpose in those trials. Verse two: Trials are in fact tests. What what what, the, what he's saying, what James is saying: these are these aren't just painful circumstances; these are tests to increase our endurance. Verse three: He wants to increase our endurance. I mean, this specifically what he's talking about here. Every trial you go through is an opportunity for growth. And through that, God is preparing you for something greater. He's preparing you for something more. If we trust him in faith, if we respond with joy in faith and allow him to do his work of growing us, you know, faith is always, every day your faith is going to be tested in some way. Every day, your faith will be tested. When God called Abraham to live by faith, His faith was tested, right, in in an incredibly dramatic way. He tested him in order to increase his faith because he had something else planned for him. God always tests us. Now hear this. God always tests us to bring out the best. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst. There's a difference. So first, you need to determine what are the reasons for your trials. And if it's because God has is, is, is called you to go through it, to grow you, to mature you, he's testing your faith in order to have a better outcome. But if I'm being tempted by Satan, if that's the kind of attack that I'm experiencing then his goal is to bring out the worst. And, and these two things do go together, by the way, because in the midst of those testings, that is also the time that I'm going to experience some of my most difficult temptings. Satan's going to tempt me to not have faith, to not remain faithful, to not endure. He'll tempt me with what appears to be an easy way out, a quick release. That balloon flying all over the place, which is the result, by the way, if I take that easy way out, you know, bouncing all over the place, pain, suffering, whatever. I mean, tempting, Satan wants to hurt us, but God has a greater plan. He wants to grow us. The testing of our faith proves that we are truly born again. If they are testings, if it's not consequences for actions, if it is a trial that is there, that is, God is allowed to happen for the, the, the increasing of our faith, for our maturing. That's one of the ways we know we are children of God. Testing works for us, not against us. Paul says this in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, this is pointed out every time somebody reads it, but I'm going to point it out anyway. It doesn't say all things are good, because all things aren't good. But it says... All things work together for the good. The outcome, if we endure, will be good, will be positive for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things don't work out good for all people. All things work out for the good of those who love God and love is shown through obedience. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Those who are called, those who belong to Christ, he promises and listen, even if life is never good for you, eternity will be if you are a child of God. So it, that will work out for good. That's We all have that to look forward to. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. That's the future for Followers of Christ. Trials help mature us. They, they help us mature in ways that no other experience can. What does God wants to, want to produce in our lives? Well, one thing that you, people say never pray for is what? That's one reason we have trials. Maybe if we prayed for patience more, we wouldn't have trials. I don't know. You're going to have trials. But one thing that trials produce is patience. You have to wait on the Lord. Endurance. You, know, you have to be tested. In order to learn how to endure, the ability to keep going when things get tough. When things are easy, you know, life can be a little hard, but ultimately it's easier to keep going. But when things are, are, are really, really tough, that, that's, that's when it's hard. To get up in the morning, put one foot in front of the other, to keep breathing in and out. I and mean, when life is really, really hard, that's when you learn to endure. Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. seems like he he had the same idea as James, right? Because we know that... uh, Why do we boast? Why do we have joy? Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. You see, in the Bible, patience is not just a passive acceptance of whatever comes your way. Patience in God's Word, is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. It is active. It is, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to persevere. It involves attitude and our action. Impatience, we see, is a sign of immaturity. Um, But patience is a sign of maturity... And that's, you know, mentally but spiritually. Patience, this kind of patience, is a sign of spiritual maturity. Impatience and unbelief usually go together just as faith and patience do. Impatience and unbelief usually go together just like patience and faith go together. Now in Hebrews chapter 6, the author of Hebrews points this out. And you've got 12 on the screen and in your notes, but I'm going to back up and start at 11. Now, we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. And then, verse 12. So, why? So that you won't become lazy, you'll keep going. But we'll be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. That's that's the goal. We want to inherit. I mean, yes, our eternity is set, but there is the the, the crown of righteousness uh, that James refers to. There's rewards for being faithful, and, and and we want to get to the end of our life and receive that well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, we have an inheritance that we look forward to that we receive now and in eternity, and we want to finish well. We should want to finish well. The author of Hebrews also says in chapter 10, verse 36, for you need endurance. We all do. So that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Now, it's not talking about earning your salvation, but there are rewards for the faithful. Things that, that we don't fully understand, but... If you are a child of God, you will finish well. This also speaks to the evidence of your salvation, right? If I am saved, I will be faithful. Not, not perfect. We fail, we fall. But over the course of my life, there's going to be a process of growth. And there's going to be a process that shows that I am faithful and I will endure. That's what the author of Hebrews is pointing out here. and Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore, the Lord God said, look, I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Jesus is our foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. If I am a child of God, yeah, I, might, I might get tossed around a little bit. I might get bumped up, a few bruises here and there, but ultimately I will not be shaken because my faith is in the Lord Jesus, my foundation is is secure. Patience is the key. Patience is the key to other blessings. When we learn to wait on the Lord, God can do great things. I mean, think about it. Abraham, how long did he have to wait? 25 years. But before that, he got ahead of God, right? And what happened? It wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good for his family, and we're still seeing the results of that today. A lot of heartache. Moses got ahead of God, killed a man, and then he spent 40 years with sheep to learn patience. <laughs> he had to learn patience. We all do. Patience is the key. God can do great things. I mean, Peter almost killed a man because of his impatience. Right? But we see biblical figures learning patience, and it's usually the hard way. Um, but, but they learn it nonetheless. If they end up doing great things for God, they learn patience. The only way the Lord can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials, by the way. I mean, that's it. That's really the only way you can truly learn patience. Endurance cannot, you can't learn endurance from reading a book or listening to a sermon unless, you know, it's extra long maybe, I don't know. (laughs) True endurance, all right? True endurance can only be learned. True patience, you can't read a book on patience and learn it. You got to put it into practice, Endurance is, is, is learned by putting it into practice. We have to go through the difficulties of life, trust God in those difficulties, and then come out on the other side. That's the only way we learn true endurance is through those trials. So how does this work? Well, how do we get endurance? Verse 6 says that we ask in faith, important, we ask in faith for wisdom. Both are, are important, having faith and asking for wisdom. Without doubting, by the way. And I know none of us ever doubt, right? Tongue in cheek. We all have those periods, but ultimately we have to ask in I mean, this is as clear as it can be. We ask in faith without doubting. And this is literally a man who cannot make a decision. wavers, halting between one decision and another. Who, who, who's stuck between belief and unbelief. And leaning towards unbelief, that's the idea. Ask in faith without doubting. That doubter, he's like the surging sea, driven and tossed. You get the idea. Back and forth, back and forth. Whatever life brings changes his opinion, changes what he believes. He's, he's bouncing back and forth between belief and unbelief. He needs wisdom. We need wisdom. We need to ask in faith without doubting. Have confidence in God. And wisdom isn't just knowledge, by the way. Someone said knowledge is the ability to take things apart, but wisdom is the ability to put it back together. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. There's knowledge, but you can have all the knowledge in the world with zero common sense, right? You need wisdom in order to use that knowledge properly. We need wisdom in order to approach, in order to evaluate our circumstances and in order to look at our trials in the right way and in order to take the lessons God's teaching us and then apply them. We need wisdom to do that. We need understanding. We need to be able to listen, why do we need wisdom? Why not ask for strength? That seems reasonable in the midst of difficult circumstances. Why not even ask for grace? That's a good thing to I pray for grace for people, for myself, for people all the time. Why, not, why does James not tell us to pray for grace? Or even, listen, common sense, deliverance from those trials. Why not pray for deliverance? That seems perfectly logical. Well, here's the reason. We need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature in the midst of those trials. Because the trials are going to be there. And we need wisdom so we don't waste that opportunity to grow. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances. And how do we ask? And use them for God's glory, by the way. How do we ask? We ask in faith. You know, I believe the greatest enemy to unanswered prayer is unbelief. And that's not a name it, claim it. Type of thing. That's what I'm talking about, all right? I'm talking about a lot of times we don't get an answer is because we're not really praying in faith. We don't really believe God is who he says he is and can, can answer our prayers, or we're not willing to practice the patience to wait for the answer, or we're not willing to accept the answer. That's part of belief. Believing God knows best, we're not willing to accept the answer that God gives us. We have to pray in faith. James compares a doubting believer to the waves of the sea, tossed back and forth. A lot of of Christians are like that bobber you use for fishing, just bouncing all over the place. Up and down, back and forth. Double-minded, unstable. Faith says yes, then unbelief says no, then doubt says yes one minute, no the next. That's the idea here. And we need to have maturity. We need to have faith. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 14. Then we will no longer be like little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. If we have believing and steady hearts, then we can ask in faith and God will give us the wisdom that we need, if we ask in faith, with a believing and steady heart. When trouble hits us, experience has benefit. We've got to experience trials in order to grow. Also, wealth has a lesson. What God wants for us is maturity. That's the end goal here. That, that's what James communicates to us here. He wants a finished product that's mature and complete. That is true wealth. And Paul outlines three works that are involved in a complete Christian life. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Three things here. First, there's the work that God does for us, which is salvation. He does the work of salvation. We respond in faith to receive salvation, but he does all the work. He accomplishes it through his death, burial, resurrection. His blood covers our sins. He brings us under conviction, and we make a decision to follow him. But he does the work. Second, there's the work that God does in us. We're saved, and then we are are his workmanship, Paul says. This is the process of sanctification, and trials play an important role in that. God builds our character, and we become more like Jesus. That's sanctification. You're saved. You're set apart. You're justified. It's as if you had never sinned, right? In the eyes of God, your sin is gone, but then that's not all. There's the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, and that's going to last the rest of your life, Okay, all of us. And then, so there's sanctification. Third, there's the work that God does through us in that service, and all these go together. He sets us apart, saves us, sets us free from sin, but he sets us apart for a purpose. He makes us more like himself so that we can be used for service, for his glory, and for his kingdom. And then when he's done with us, he brings us home. Yeah, praise God for that. We all have that to look forward to, but it all works together. God builds character before he calls into service, by the way. I mean, he will save you, but he's going to do some character building before he he sets you to serve. There may be things you do to serve God, but he's got a, a plan for your life, and he's got a sanctify you and 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 build that character and he's never really done finished he's never done doing that until we're in his presence and so he will set you apart and put you on mission for him and through that he will build your character further to be used for something else I mean we should never get to the point to where we feel like we've arrived spiritually we should never get to the point to where we feel like we hey I've done all I can do it's time for that younger generation or I'm you know I'm not ready to serve yet because I'm not where God wants me there's something you can do that will further build your character to prepare you for greater service. I mean th- this is a lifelong process that we go through. God builds character. I mean think about it. Again, God spent 25 years on Abraham before he delivered that promised son. God worked 13 years on Joseph before he put him, he put him through a lot of different testings before he put him on the throne in Egypt. He spent 80 years preparing Moses for 40 years of service. I'm probably more like Moses in my stubbornness. How about you? I mean, Jesus even spent th- three years preparing his disciples. Certainly he could have done it quicker than that in person, right? Right? Three years. There's a period of training, There's a, and, and, and that continues. I mean, we're always in training, but we have to be surrendered to God for him to complete his work. If I'm mature, I'm not going to argue with God. I'm not going to argue with his will. I'm going to accept it and obey it joyfully. Ephesians 6.16, In every situation, take up the shield of faith. Here's key to doing this. Take up the shield of faith. Have to Have faith with which you could extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. With the shield of faith, with the armor of God as a whole, but faith, trusting God, believing, continuing in belief, there's nothing that you cannot withstand. We can withstand anything by His power. Now, sometimes God uses trials to win us away from childish things or just things in general. I mean, sometimes you got to let go in order to move forward with the Lord. There was a story that ran a few years ago a guy lost his a guy had his car stolen in nineteen seventy nine and then just a couple of years ago, I think it was thirty eight years after it was stolen somebody pulled it out of a of a, a lake somewhere and and he the the guy got the call he found out you know that this was his car and and so he gets this car and suddenly um he he this car that he thought was long, I've had a car stolen. I don't ever expect to see it again. I don't know what I'd do if I got a call saying, you know, hey, your car's been found. You know, that was 2004. 38 years he gets this car. The guy that, that towed it in talked about how great a shape it was in, com- considering. This is a picture of it. <laughs> now, think about it. It's been in the water for 38 years. You can, you can look this up. The interior's pretty much intact. I mean, there's not a whole lot. There's, you know, what you would expect. I mean, this has been cleaned up a little bit. It's still got some of the paint on it. The, look, the bumper's not even rusted. 38 years in the water. Now it'll never run again. It was it was covered with crayfish, but I mean the guy that pulled it out was amazed. And so that now the guy that had it stolen, it's now technically belongs to his insurance company. Although I doubt they want it. It, it belongs to him. But they were going to let him come by and look at it. That'd be pr- pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know, take a little stroll down memory lane. You know, I, I, have, I have fond memories of my first car. I don't know, it was a, a Toyota Celica. It was a 1983 Toyota Celica. And I, you know, I think we all, guys maybe more than girls. I would love to, to drive one of those. I'd love to take a stroll down memory lane. And nostalgia's okay. And that's, man, this would be a cool experience. I didn't even like the car that I had stolen, but I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Why not? It's kind of glad that it did when it did get something. <laughs> it was kind of a blessing. But consider it joy. Yeah. Nostalgia's okay. We look back on the past. The problem is, is we tend to look back on the past and remember it more fondly than it was when we were in that, the past, right? And, and, you know, he's got to let this go. Number one, it's never going to drive again. Number one, it doesn't belong to him anymore. Sometimes we have to let things go. Sometimes God takes us through trials so that we will let things go, we, so that we don't have a choice but to let things go and focus on Him and move forward in faith. We need to trust God that He knows what He's doing through that. And when He call, even good things, when He calls us to let them go, we have to be willing to do that. In verses 9 through 11, James applies this principle to two different kinds of Christians, the poor and the rich. The poor man knows... When he faces testing, he knows he has no value here, so he takes joy in the fact that he's got eternity. But the rich man should have the same approach. He'll wither away pursuing his his activities unless he's got the right approach. When he faces trials, he looks toward eternity, knowing that what he has now is only temporary. That's the approach. Put it another way, it's not your material resources that take you through the testings of life. It's going to be your spiritual resources. Materials here today, gone tomorrow have the right perspective. Wealth is temporary in our pockets, but true wealth, spiritual wealth, is permanent in our hearts. And that's what we need to, how we need to approach patience, endurance, faith. That's true wealth. When trouble hits us, experience has benefit, wealth has a lesson, and dedication has a kickback. There's a blessing, there's a reward here. The man who endures is blessed, verse 12 tells us, which literally means having the ability to, to flourish in turmoil perseverance, fortitude, toughing it out through the trials of life that come both to those in high positions and low positions. doesn't matter who you are. The blessing, in part, is the ability to endure. And trials, by the way, have a way of leveling us, regardless of your stature. Right? I mean, it comes to everybody. But part of the blessing is enduring in and of itself. But there's another reward. He talks about the crown of life. Which immediately sets our minds to what Paul talks about at the end of 2 Timothy. This person is already a believer, so this isn't about salvation. He already has eternal life, just as Jesus promised in John 5, 24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. We have eternal life, so this crown of life... The word Stephanos, which is also a word, we think gold crown, but this is uh, referring to one of, the, one of the, the examples of this would have been the award at the Greek Games, that, that wreath, that laurel wreath, the reward for the winner of the Greek Games. And the Olympics, the, the winner of that, that sporting, the Greek Olympics, that sporting contest would, would be awarded with this laurel crown, this Stephanos. And so it's, it, that's the picture that the original readers would have gotten here. It's a specific reward for finishing the race, for, for winning that, that competition, for going through that trying experience but coming out on the other side as a winner, finishing And it's specific here to a reward for enduring the trials of life. That's exactly what Paul was talking about, by the way. He finished well. And there was in store for him the crown of righteousness. It's the same. James is talking about the same thing. It's similar here. And you might expect James to say that the crown of life was available to all those who obey God, but he doesn't. What does he say? He said it's available, God promises to all who love him. Why? Well, love's the key. I mean, If I love God, I will obey him. God's love changes us. It changes everything that we are, and I want to try to illustrate that. Now, since it's time change Sunday, I brought some coffee with me. Lost an hour of sleep. Maybe some of our students would appreciate a little coffee. I don't know. Grace is shaking her head yes. But I brought coffee. Now, here, I how many, how many of you drink your coffee black? Anybody? Just black, no cream, no sugar. All right. I brought this because I didn't have a clear coffee mug, okay? Most of the time, a lot of the time, I drink my coffee black, but every now and then, I like a little creamer. How many of you drink it with cream? How many of you cream sugar? I mean, you, okay. I guess, I mean, you know, There's no right or wrong, but if you really want to be holy, you drink it black, or just (laughs) kidding. Just saying if you are still awake. Smells good, too, by the way. But I I drink mine a lot of the times just black, but I do like cream every now and then. So I brought me some creamer, okay? And I, you know, if I'm going to put cream, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all out, right? Don't do anything halfway, so I'm going to put a lot of cream in there. Okay, so I've got my coffee ready. I've got my cream in there. So it's it's quite a bit different, right? But suddenly I changed my mind. I would rather have it black. <laughs> Somebody said tough luck, right? <laughs> why? why? I mean, I can change my mind all I want to, but why, why does that not matter right now unless I've got another cup of coffee somewhere else? Am wow. I going to be able to make this black again? Unless I've got some sort of maybe... One of you guys know of some advanced filtration thing. I don't know, but the cream's there. There's no removing it, right? It has permeated every every part of that coffee. And if I want a, a, a cup of coffee without cream, a cup of black coffee, I've got to go get another one because it's affected every part of that. Now think about this, okay? That is what the presence of God, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit fills you up and he changes who you are. It affects every aspect of who you are. The love of God should do the same. The love of God permeates every part of our being. It's the love of God that leads us to repentance, the mercy, the grace of God. He is love. And if we have the presence of God in us, the love of God should change the way we love others. And it should change the way that we live. And it should change us so much that there, it should never be changed. It should never be removed. We can practice our faith, and certainly we can choose to love or not, even as believers. But just as the presence of God cannot be removed from our lives, the love of God should change us, every part of us. That's why James says God promises the crown of life to those who love him. Because if we truly love God, it's going to change the way that we live. It is going to change the way that we love. And part of the way we show our love is through obedience, through faithfulness, through endurance. He's tying it all together. Endurance. We're practicing our faith. We're living out. We're trusting God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. We got a joyful attitude while we face trials. All of that. God's love. Our love for Him. Because we love God and He loves us, we know that ultimately He's not going to harm us. We are secure. Why do we have an understanding mind? Because he loves us and he's shared the truth with us. We love him in return. Why do we have a surrendered will? Surrender is part of this because we love him. And where there is love, there is surrender and obedience. Why do we have believing hearts? Because love and faith go together. And when you love someone, you trust them. And you don't hesitate to ask them for help. Love is the glue here. Our love, God's love for us and our love for Him. It's the spiritual force behind these essentials that James has given us at the start of his book. If we love God, we will have no problem counting, knowing, letting, and asking. It holds it all together. It's the key to these essentials. But there's another factor involved as we finish here love keeps us faithful to God. His love holds us up, it sustains us, and our love for him motivates us to obey. The double-minded person is like an unfaithful husband or wife. He wants to love both God and the world. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. But as Christians, if we love God, we know that he loves us. We won't fall apart when trials come. We won't be happy about them. Joy is not happiness but we will count it pure joy. We will consider it great joy when trials come because we know that we are secure in God's hands. And here's the beauty. You don't have to carry the burden of whatever trial you're facing because God will carry you. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face various trials because you know can have confidence, can have assurance, The testing of your faith produces endurance. and Let endurance have its full effect. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Keep enduring. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Let the love of God drive you. The testing of your faith. You know that endurance will have its full effect. Let it happen. Keep moving forward so that you'll be mature. So that you'll be complete and lacking in nothing. You'll have everything you need. One day we will be there, mature and complete, totally just like Jesus. Not yet, one day. And each day is an opportunity to move closer to that. One day we'll see him face to face. In the meantime, we've got to keep going, keep trusting, keep maturing. Let him complete his work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for working in us and through us. I'm thankful that you're intentional. That that even the trials of life, you have purpose in that. That we can know and trust in faith that you are going to use it for ultimately for our good, and that you will use it to make us more like your son Jesus. We can believe that you are above it all. That you are you see the big picture. We only see what we're going through in the moment. But we can trust you each day knowing that you will work in us and through us to bring about maturity in our lives, which will result in us being more like you. But the only way we can have this joy as we face various trials is to know you as Lord and Savior, to have a relationship with you, God the Father, through Jesus Christ. And and God, I pray that if there's someone here today who doesn't have that relationship, that hasn't experienced the joy of salvation, that they would come during this time of commitment and allow me to share with them how to make that most important decision. For those of us who know you, Father, as we face each day, I pray that we would face it in faith without doubting, that we would, would, would have joy in the midst of all circumstances because we are walking in such close fellowship with you. We're going to have our ups and downs. We're going to have times where we make mistakes and we're not perfect in our faithfulness. But overall, consistently, God, I pray that we would grow and endure and persevere, living out our faith each day, allowing you to do the work in and through us, whatever that means, trusting you, finishing well, patience, endurance, maturity. That's our goal. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us in this time. And as we begin this journey together through this book, Father, I pray that we would just open ourselves up to whatever it is that you want to teach us, that we would be willing to dig deep, allow you to pierce the innermost parts of who we are with your word and uncover things maybe that we don't even know exist so that we can be further molded and shaped into your image. Lord, just speak to us. Let us respond in obedience. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?